From home, I'm Mariah Humiston, and this is the Daily Orange Podcast. It's Tuesday, March 31st, 2020. actually in DeWitt, New York, which is about 10 minutes outside of Syracuse. I'm from the area, so I've been just kind of here reporting locally um, as everything develops. Right now, I am in Falls Church, Virginia, in my childhood home, I guess. I'm sitting in my dad's den because it's the smallest room so in the house. right now, and I am in my, at my desk, in my bedroom, in my hometown of Allentown, Pennsylvania, or just outside Allentown, Pennsylvania. COVID-19 has affected everything, and we won't know the span of the impact until much later when it's gone. But today, I wanted to focus on the impacts that we are seeing and experiencing at Syracuse University. Things really began to shift on campus early March, and today we are talking to some of the Daily Orange News staff to get an overview of what happened for us to get here, what it's like for students now, and what we know about the future. I'm Emma Foltz, and I'm news editor at The Daily Orange. I'm Maggie Hicks. I'm an assistant news editor for The Daily Orange. I'm Chris Steele, and I'm an assistant news editor for The Daily Orange. And so, Emma, can you walk me through when things really began to change in the Syracuse area with the COVID-19 virus? Well, things really changed at first at the Syracuse University level around March 10th when the university announced that it was going to move classes online until at least March 30th and then we went to spring break and on March 16th the county confirmed its first case of COVID-19 which was a huge change and a few hours after that the university announced that they were moving classes online for the remainder of the semester. And from there, the county has been implementing testing at a triage site at the Syracuse Community Health Center. And they've done thousands of tests, and they're coming in collectively. So every day, the case numbers have grown. Uh, We're at 123 confirmed cases right now as of Saturday morning. So really, after March 16th was when things in the county and at Syracuse University have really kind of picked up, with both students wondering what the plans are for things like graduation, while also concerns at the community level regarding the virus's spread. So when the online classes were announced, what were the students' reactions to having to go online? I think when they first happened, like when we were still on campus that Tuesday, it honestly, like the feeling changed within hours because I remember talking to my one friend and she was like, oh, we'll be back in April. Like, it'll be fine. And then by that night, (laughs) I walked into the DO house and like, it was just like complete, like hopelessness, sadness, like everybody kind of knew that it was going to be indefinite, even if it said until at least March 30th. Everybody said that I talked to, everybody held out hope that maybe like April, because they hadn't called it yet. And then once they called for the rest of the semester, I mean, like you knew it was coming, but it still stung about the same as it would have if it was a surprise. And I think overall, it was just like sadness and wishing that you could experience the things that you wanted to experience. So just like a loss. So many people said that they were like grieving, which I thought was an interesting word to use. And I mean, it kind of, it feels weird to say it, but it also like, that's kind of how it feels is that you're grieving the loss of so many things that you could have had. And what were people's concerns about going online and doing their normal everyday class routine, but as online classes? A lot of it was just like, I don't know if I can get what 
I would get out of an in-person class. When I did the original article, like the first one, when all of this started, pretty much everybody we talked to said their main concern was that they had a lab class and they didn't know how that was going to happen online. And they had a discussion section and they wanted to be able to discuss things and they weren't going to be able to do that. I don't know how to use (laughs) these kinds of tools. What if someone doesn't have Wi-Fi? What if someone doesn't have access to a computer? So it was just so much uncertainty for how it was going to operate and also just like a serious concern of like how their learning was going to be impacted because we're not used to doing class online. Like most people aren't used to doing class online. So having to make that drastic transition was just crazy and very chaotic. For the class of 2020, this spring semester was obviously their last semester. How were the seniors reacting to it once their final year was being cut short? So I was able to talk to like probably over 10 seniors for my article, and it was all over the phone, obviously, but you could just tell like the emotion as they were talking. And as I was asking questions, like it just continued to get more and more emotional. So it kind of just goes back to that grief word. Like, I think probably over half the people I talked to said that they were grieving a loss, whether that be of saying goodbye to their favorite professor, saying goodbye to like their underclassmen friends who they probably won't see, their friends from their grade who they probably won't see, grieving the loss of like final senior year activities, even just like being on campus in the spring. Almost everybody was like, that is the most beautiful time to be at Syracuse. And I wanted to experience it for the last time. And also just like the hardest part, I think, for a lot of people was not realizing that it was going to be cut short. Obviously, they didn't know. But everybody was like, obviously, I knew I was going to have to say these goodbyes, but I didn't realize it was going to have to happen so soon. And I wasn't prepared for it. So I think that was the hardest part is that they just didn't realize like, oh, this is going to be the last time that I'm on campus as a student. This is going to be one of the last, like, nice days that I'll spend here. And in your article, you mentioned Patricia Douglas. She is a first-generation college student and was worried about commencement. Can you tell me about her concerns and about what that meant to her? Patricia was talking a lot about how her parents had worked really hard for her to be at Syracuse. She had worked really hard to stay at Syracuse. And there were just a lot of things in her life that helped her get to the point where she is, but also like she had to struggle through. So her biggest concern was just the fact that she wasn't going to be able to walk across the stage for her parents. A lot of times commencement is a familial celebration. So she just wanted to be able to walk across the stage and receive her diploma in person as she normally would, just because that's something that she'd been looking forward to for so long and something that her parents could appreciate. And it was something that they knew was going to happen, but She just wanted it to happen the way she thought it would because it was something that she'd worked so hard for. Can you speak a little bit about how this is impacting international students? Chris? Sure. So shortly after we went on spring break, I spoke to a few international students about their experiences, you know, remaining on the Syracuse campus or trying to get home after the university had shut down. And whether they were staying on campus for the rest of the semester, as some of them were, or they were planning to leave, both those scenarios created a lot of uncertainty and a lot of confusion for students. For students who were staying, there was a question of housing. You know, the university has been trying to encourage students to move out of North Campus or Main Campus residences. There were students telling me that 
there were rumors that they were going to move all students still on campus to South Campus to open apartments in South Campus just so they could concentrate students in one area rather than having them spread out through a few residence halls on North Campus. So that was a big concern for students is, you know, where are we going to live and what's going to happen to us if we have to stay here over the summer, if we can't go home. And for students who are planning to go back, that concern is more about how am I going to return to Syracuse if this doesn't stop? Two of the students I spoke to, or actually all the students I spoke to were from East Asia. One was from China, one was from Taiwan, which are very close, but China being the center of this outbreak at the very beginning has sort of recovered in recent weeks. I know they've really reduced the number of cases or at least reduce the spread of the virus. And a lot of students from China, according to the one international student I spoke to, Zhe Zhang, wanted to go home because, you know, they felt it was safer to be there than the United States where cases are increasing much more rapidly and sort of this pandemic is getting to its worst point. So they said they wanted to go home and they were ready to deal with all the difficulties that would cause, whether it was traveling or being exposed to the virus while traveling, potentially you know, one of the biggest concerns was time zones, the fact that they're on the other side of the world. So they would have to wake up at 3 a.m. for a 3 p.m. class, as one of the students told me. But the biggest concern they cited were visas, their ability to return to the United States if they decided to leave the semester early. They didn't know whether not finishing the academic year would affect their eligibility for academic visas, whether these travel bans, if For example, if the travel bans on China or Europe remained in place for another year, if this virus didn't get better, would they be able to return in the future? Would SU have a plan for that if they didn't? So there's, I think, a lot of uncertainty with the international student community and the entire student community about what this virus means for them, what the restrictions put in place because of the virus mean for them, and how it's going to affect their career at SU moving forward. Since SU decided to stop on-campus classes, what are the big things that they've decided since then? So one of the main concerns that students had, particularly graduating seniors had, was whether they would have a commencement ceremony and what that commencement ceremony would look like. As for what it would look like, we are still uncertain about that, but the university did announce that the graduating class of 2020 will have a commencement ceremony in some shape or form, and that it will be special and that they will make sure that it is special. And so the seniors will not be able to have an on-campus in-person celebration in May, but the university submitted or sent out a survey on Friday asking seniors for their input on what sort of ceremony or celebrations that they would like to see. And some of the options included an on-campus celebration in the fall, a virtual celebration in May, and there was also a write-in option for students to submit any other ideas if they had any about what the celebration should look like. So that's still in the works, but at least seniors have some sort of idea that they will be able to have a ceremony now. I think it was much more up in the air a few days ago. So another development of this past week was that SU announced that it will provide room and board payments or reimbursements to students who both have left university housing and have yet to leave university housing. It's a prorated refund, meaning that it will only cover the costs going until March 23rd, which is the date that the university suspended on-campus classes. But that was another thing that students were concerned about when SU announced that it would be transitioning fully to online courses. But that, I would say, is the two main things that have happened. 
And can you speak a little bit about now with the new online classes, the university is implementing a pass-fail option. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So students are typically not allowed to take more than 24 credit hours pass-fail during their time at Syracuse University. The university had initially extended the deadline to switch courses to pass-fail to April 3rd. And then this past week, they announced that you can take any of your courses that you are registered in, excluding those offered through the university college as pass-fail. So that could be up to 18 credits if someone chose to take all of their classes pass-fail. So I'm not exactly sure how that affects the 24 credit limit, but it certainly is an easing of restrictions and allowing students to take all of their classes pass-fail given the circumstances of the semester. And now you mentioned this already, but beyond the university, how has COVID-19 been impacting Onondaga County as a whole? Yes, so Onondaga County as a whole, the local officials, Ryan McMahon, Onondaga County Executive, and Syracuse Mayor Ben Wallace have been following directives from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. So Onondaga County, we have closed all of our shopping malls, Destiny USA included. Our businesses have been restricted to essential services only. All non-essential workers have been ordered to stay home, which really poses potential economic concerns for the city of Syracuse in particular. It remains to be seen how fully the financial burden of this will be felt by the city, but we really have been following sort of orders from the New York governor to address the COVID-19 outbreak um, at the local level. Chris, can you speak a little bit about how Syracuse businesses have been affected by this? Sure. So one of the major stories to come out of the coronavirus pandemic, not just in Syracuse, but across the country, is how it's affecting the economy. I mean, the stock market lost, I think, two, three years of growth over you know the first few weeks of this epidemic really becoming a problem in the United States. And, you know, that's had major impacts for businesses across the country, whether that's large scale or just small businesses, particularly the service industry has been hit hard by social distancing, service industry being restaurants, hotels, that kind of thing. You know, these are businesses that rely on human interaction, which is something that the government has tried to minimize through these social distancing procedures. We've seen restaurants and bars curtail the takeout only, all other non-essential businesses closed. And obviously, if you, you're closed, you can't have customers, you can't make money, you can't make money, you can't pay your rent. You know, businesses rely on customers to stay afloat. They can't just close their doors indefinitely. And I think something I learned from when I spoke to two businesses in the Syracuse area and two business owners in the Syracuse area, Danielle McCurry and Steve Morris, they're both restaurant owners. They mentioned to me that although they had been able to survive this far, on takeout only. They weren't sure how long that could last. And so one of those two business owners that you talked to um, owns Rise and Shine. Can you tell me about the conversation you had with how that was specifically affecting their business? So I spoke with Danielle Mercury, who is the owner of Rise and Shine Diner, which has two locations, one on Westcott Street and one on Thompson Road. Shortly after the outbreak began, she said she realized she had to close the Thompson Road location just to stay afloat. She needed to minimize staff, minimize her operation, and she reduced really her entire chain to just take out at the Westcott Street location, which is sort of her primary location. And the way she put it, she's doing everything she can and her staff is doing everything they can to 
weather this this storm. They're trying to get to the light at the end of the tunnel, as she told me, and, you know, just survive so that they have a restaurant to open when this is over. And for her, that has meant, you know, providing options beyond just takeout, you know, doing curbside pickup and delivery options. It's also meant cutting back staff. She said she'd reduced a staff of 20 people to five since this virus began. And obviously that unemployment, that loss of jobs hurts a lot of people. But she's made it clear that she intended to bring every one of those workers back. It was just a matter right now of surviving, you know, this virus. And so this is obviously a really uncertain time. And for a lot of people, this has been hard to deal with. Chris, you've been doing lots of reporting on this clearly. How have you been dealing with it? And maybe could you give some tips to help our listeners? Boy, I'm not sure I'm the best person to talk to. You know, since I've been back, I've just been focused on doing this reporting. You know, I'm not in the center of the virus by any means. I live in a town in rural Pennsylvania that doesn't look like it's changed all that much since this virus started. So I'm not dealing with the shelter in place orders. I think there's a stay at home order in my county, but most people just stay at home anyway. So it's not too much of a difference. So for me, it's just been about focusing on work, you know, trying to transition into some sense of normalcy, treating, you know, being at home, like being at school is obviously a bit of a difficult situation, but it's just about adapting whatever way you can and trying to make the best of a terrible situation. Emma? I think one of the things that have helped me the most is to find the perspective within the facts. One of the things that I have always looked at is, yes, the cases are rising in Onondaga County, which at the surface level could be absolutely something that makes people feel nervous and feel afraid about how it's spreading throughout the community. But I also like to consider the fact that we've increased testing. There's thousands of people who are receiving these test results every day. And so the increase is sort of a natural, it kind of naturally goes along with that. And so if you look at the percentages, it's a very small percent of people who currently have the virus in the area. And that's something that has always helped me put things into perspective and not, you know, quell all of my concerns because obviously, you know, the virus is still here, it's still spreading in the community. But to kind of just put things in perspective has helped ease some of my concerns. And I'm here, I'm in DeWitt with my my family, so it's always nice to have that time to kind of take a break, be with your loved ones for a little bit, and sort of take your mind off of everything and not be so uh, caught up in all of the the changing developments of the day and all of the, the fears that they might bring about. Maggie? Honestly, I haven't been doing the best job of dealing with it, Um, and I think that's kind of a general consensus for the world right now. But one of the things that I've made sure I do is just stay in contact with every person that I possibly can and appreciate the contact that I can have with them. I mean, I have a friend who lives up the street who I've known since kindergarten, and I can't even like give her a hug, and I haven't seen her in months. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to call her. That doesn't mean I'm going to stand in the middle of the street and talk to her six feet away. And I think the same can be said for people that you miss from college, because one of the hardest parts for me is that none of my friends are even remotely close to me. They're spread across the country. Some of them are still in Syracuse, but that doesn't mean that I can't still talk to them. And I've been trying really hard to call at least one of them a day, FaceTime at least one of them a day, just like talk about what you've been doing, talk about things that you're struggling with. And honestly, just like reaching out. 
reach out to that person that you haven't talked to in months, reach out to that person who you talk to every day, because the worst part of this is just the fact that we can't be present with one another. And the only way to compensate for that is staying in contact and reaching out. Thank you to Emma Foltz, who is the news editor for The Daily Orange. Chris Hippenseal and Maggie Hicks are both assistant news editors, and you can find the entire Daily Orange staff's reporting on the coronavirus on the Daily Orange website. Elizabeth Kama is our producer, JJ Tanaka and Lucas Serio are our producers, and thank you to Casey Tissue for the help with editing and for the sound. As always, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and go ahead and tell your friends to do the same. Thank you for listening and stay healthy.